All right, so Morgan and I met, uh, it'll be almost it'll be three years this June, kind of where they didn't really know anybody at the banquet, you know, or at least not a bunch of other cops get together and hang out together at OTOA at the Ohio Tactical Officers Association annual conference. And my wife and I and Varg uh, and a friend of his, we sat down at a table together and ended up eating dinner at the banquet night together and uh, and talked a little bit. So, And we didn't really stay much in touch that first year. We had a class on the same range at Alliance that following weekend. Said, hey there, that day, that's about it. The next OTOA this past year, Man, we went and got drinks one night, and we we sat down at at a little at a restaurant, and uh, we didn't drink too many drinks. We we nursed them for a while, but they kicked us out at like two, so we had to leave. So went to my hotel room, we sat on the, the the patio there and talked for a while. I think we had like a a nine hour conversation. It was something ridiculous like that. Pretty close to that. Yeah, it was somewhere yeah, pretty right, close. Like, like if Vince was like, dude, I got to go to bed. I didn't sleep <laughs> much that night. I mean, it was an intense yeah. conversation. I really didn't. Um, I didn't sleep much, and I laid down next to my wife. When I got back in the bed, she was half asleep, and, and our son was already asleep. I told her a few things from that conversation and how intense it was. And and it wasn't like the intense conversation of us, like confrontational or anything. It was intense. The, the subject matter just provoked so much intense thought. I, I didn't sleep well. Like, I was just thinking about it. My mind was going crazy. And uh, I, I don't think it will be possible to recreate that conversation right here on this podcast and in this moment, you know, and everything else. And uh, there's probably some things in that conversation that neither one of us want to have recreated uh, in that. But uh, it was a very open and candid conversation. It was it was some, some – I immensely enjoyed it. And, and Varg and I have, have talked – uh, at least on a weekly basis ever since, you know, text message and, and phone calls and stuff. So became a, a good friend of mine that I really appreciate. What we're going to do here in this podcast, that's what we're our first gunfighter cast back in a really long time. I, I wanted to have Varg come on, sit and talk with me and, and hang out. And I, I hope to get some of that good stuff. And this guy has got so much information in his head. I, I talk, The first thing I told my wife when I laid down at night, I was like, babe, you know me. You know the bells and whistles go off. Whenever I, I sense BS, whenever I sense that somebody may not be all truthful or all there or they're, they're embellishing, because I've been around embellishers a lot in my life, I, I can sense it. And I did not ever get a hint of it from Varg, and I still haven't, despite how crazy those conversations got. So Varg, who are you and what do you do? Some people may not know who you are. Okay, so I am basically running my company and also working um, as a coach on the side with another company. So first of all, I run my training company that's uh, currently One Life Defense and that's morphing into more of a personal brand. But the gist of what I do there is uh, weapons training and some combatives training too, but primarily weapons training. So uh, anything that has to do with fighting up close and personal with a firearm uh, or weapon. And that is more likely geared towards civilians or lone patrol officers, that type of situation. So I try to stay very uh, clearly in my lane of experience there. And uh, that's primarily what I do there. I also uh, do some writing and I do some producing content for various places in the internet for those type of uh, topics. And on top of that, I run a remote coaching program for fitness training. 
and I also coach uh, Olympic lifting and CrossFit at a local gym here in the evenings uh, a couple nights a week. So I got a lot going on, but it all has to do with coaching and making people stronger and better and safer and healthier and harder to kill. You making people harder to kill, helping them learn, give them the tools to make them harder to kill. If they do it themselves, right? If they do the homework and everything else, but what um what makes you qualified to do that? There's a lot of guys oh, out there teaching stuff, but what makes you qualified yeah. to do it? Well, when it comes to so there's two tracks there. We're talking we talked about self defense and we talked about fitness. So when it comes to self defense, I've I have been involved in lethal level violence uh, multiple times and one of those times led to me being involved with the um, with the court system and so I have experience with the court system with the legal system and lethal force uh, case I have experience with the fight itself and how that goes down and that involved uh, that particular incident involved weapons and also, other uh, other fights that I've been in have involved weapons, and some were manufactured, some were environmental, and some were obviously, uh, you know, just uh, average weapons. the The thing that I think I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm a, I try to stay pretty humble, so I'm not gonna get grandiose with this, but the thing that I think would make me qualified is that you know I, I talk from experience. And when I talk and I teach from experience, it's I'm passionate about it because these are often things that either kept me alive or mistakes that I made that nearly cost me my life or mistakes that I made that did cost me large pieces of my life that I can't get back. And so that makes it very important information to me. And so when I pass that information on to other people, that information is coming from a a very intense place. It's not just something that was dreamed up in a dojo or on a range somewhere. Uh, it's it's information that is driven by a personal experience that had a great cost with it. And I think that's probably the biggest factor on the defense side that I would say uh, brings qualification to that. On top of that, I've spent many years studying and researching and training to become better as a student as well. So after experiencing years of fighting, after experiencing the court system, after experiencing prison, after experiencing stabbings on both sides of receiving and giving. Okay, because that was my next question I was going to ask you. Was like, how comfortable do you feel giving a little bit more detailed information of, of what you're talking about? You, know, you kind of gave a, the, the way overhead view of that. And I, I didn't want to mention the, the prison or anything unless you did. So, Yeah, so basically, I mean, this story is out there a million times over. So you can find this in detail in other places and other podcasts and also, you know, the book and things like that. But the, you know, the, the low down and dirty of it is, is that when I was 18, I was involved in a pretty serious fight and I was cornered by three very uh, intoxicated and high individuals that were in a very dangerous uh, condition. And I fought my way out of that and I ended up stabbing one of them uh, a couple dozen times. And that led to me being charged, uh, which also led to me being locked up for five years in prison. So at 19, I began a prison stay that lasted for five years. So 19 to 24, I spent in the brutal world of the penitentiary. 
Um, and that was, uh, that was a very enlightening experience. That was a very a strong development in my life in terms of who I am. Um, a, a strong developmental period, we'll say. And so, uh, that shaped a lot of my views on violence and my views on fighting and my views on criminal mindset. Uh, I was very much entrenched in that. I was simultaneously one of them and also an observer in a, in a, uh, a person who disliked the people I was around, um, which, which made me very tuned into what type of people they were, how they operated, watching every manipulative uh, behavior, predatory behaviors, all those things were necessary for survival. But also I was driven by my just sheer dislike of these people that um, made me have to understand, you know, how they operate. So that's the that's the uh, a little more overview. But no, that's a, that's, a that's good deeper. stuff. Uh, Vark, I, one of the things that, that intrigued me the most about you in, in some of our conversations that we've had at OTOA and, and since, um, there's a lot of us out there. You know, I, I used to go into harm's way and do things. I don't anymore, you know, but this doesn't mean I'm not going to at the gas station tomorrow. Yeah, who knows? Um, but for the most <clears> part, people out there who are watching this podcast or training, they're not they're not in harm. The, the law enforcement officers are in some cases, um, but the average person isn't. They might go take a handgun class or a rifle class or work on their physical fitness level or uh, read some books on on de escalation and avoidance and things like that. And they, they may even take some classes on those kind of things. You know, listen to the, some podcasts, read books, whatever. So they're educating themselves and trying to learn in case that thing would happen to them. You're a little bit different because you were so engrossed in this environment. That wasn't your last knife fight. You know, that wasn't your last being involved in, in a stabbing. Mm -hmm. That was that was that mm -hmm. was the beginning, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and did the, the, it's like the middle, maybe? Okay, <laughs> all right, all right, the middle. It's a solid middle. Um, <laughs> so the uh, this was this was uh, it was your 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 life, your survival depend on depended on you. Uh, developing this mindset, changing a mindset in some way, or, or developing a mindset that you already had. Um, I, I talked to you about fitness and, and I tend to go out and work out to where I can't walk up and down stairs. And you're like, dude, how are you going to fight? How are you going to fight after that, that, that when you're breaking yourself off and exercising like that and, and you just, you're so sore that you can't even move the next day. You, you're, you're not, you're doing yourself good because you're, you're getting at a higher fitness level. But if you have to fight that next day to protect your wife and kids, you can't do it because you're not physically able. So you have to work out in such a way that you can still continue to be a warrior and still be able to fight through that. So, um, that's, a, a that, that was, I was like, dang, that's serious, man. Like that's, that's real. So like you were having to put on size, gain weight, uh, not that that's two different things. I guess it could be two different things, uh, muscle is, mass yeah. or whatever. Um, and, and still, you know, be able to fight and, and, and all these other things happening, make makeshift weapons, you know, uh, whatever you could do to survive, uh, build alliances, avoid alliances, um, Figure out how people work and how they click so you can not make the wrong mistakes and do the right thing. So you had to get to your mm -hmm. level of manipulation that you needed to do to survive, just like mm -hmm. they were doing to, to be offensive or defensive or whatever it was. All of this at the same time as a 19-year-old kid. 
Yes. And Very that, good description. But that totally struck me. I was like, man, I, I just, there was just a different level uh, of thinking about it. Uh, one of the, well, this is, oh, go ahead. This is, this is important, right? So when you're talking to, and this will speak to the fitness side, uh, because my fitness journey began there. And uh, I was in during, I was fortunate to be in during the good old days, the golden era when we still had free weights and we still had a weight pile and it was still, it was still a, 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 a man's prison. So the, the journey that started for me there was, was driven by the need for size, the need for strength, but also the need for speed and agility and ready. So you can't go like there was no going and doing uh, a leg day until you can't walk the next day because that next day might be a day that you need those legs in a way that will save your life. Right. So you, you learned real quick, like you, you had to program in a way you had to, and this was down to a science already because there was generations of guys that had been doing this already. So it wasn't like this was, you were figuring this out. You're walking into a population of people that were already at their fittest and they were already at that level where they're prepared in every single way. So that's, uh, that's the, that's the, the drive behind that type of fitness. So when you come out in, into the free world here, the majority of people, majority of guys that are in a gym are driven typically by some type of egotistical drive uh, to yep. be big, to be strong, to look good. They want to pick up chicks, you know, and, but Nothing whatever wrong with that. it is, no, no, there's not, but whatever it is, there's, there's not an element of, I need to do this so I don't get killed tomorrow. Right? Like, I need to do this quickly so that I can be a competitor in this, you know, very dangerous environment. Uh, so it's, that's not that. And that's typically, that's the, the thing. The one place that I did find that on the streets though, was in the boxing gyms. I spent, you know, I never have been, I'll say up front, I've never been a, a phenomenal boxer, but I've spent a lot of time in boxing gyms and I love ghetto boxing gyms in in rough parts of town and that's where i've gravitated to and i think it's because they have both the old school coaching where they make you earn the coaching first yes and yep. it's straight up yeah you earn it like you the coach does not spend any time with you unless you go in and you put in the work without anybody talking to you might be three months that before anybody says anything. No, that's a great way to put it. And it, I think we may have talked about this whenever I was yeah. 16 and I was about to join the Marine Corps a year later and I went to a boxing gym in the middle of the ghetto because the only thing I could yeah. afford, I couldn't afford any other martial arts or anything. And it was like, it was like six bucks a month or something. Yeah. And the guy yeah. made me, he made me throw jabs all day for a week straight. You know, and like yeah. I'm having Before to talk to you. I'm, I'm driving. Yeah. I'm driving my car home and I got to change gears and drive with the same hand because my, my jab arm doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like just I yeah. just broke off. And uh, yeah, he made you work for it. And then he wouldn't let me do anything else. till I learned how to jump rope. And then it was like the next thing, you know, it was it, yeah. yeah, earning your coaching. That that's a great way to put it. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Earn you earn your coaching. But but my bigger point about that was that there's guys in there that are fighting literally for their life. You know, like they have nothing else. They come from incredibly torn, um, troubled homes. If they have a home that they can call home, they, you know, their families, much of them, 
have been in a prison or been murdered or killed or died of alcoholism or drugs. And uh, they're from environments and neighborhoods where, you know, they have to be tough. And, and also if they don't make something of themselves in that gym, you know, that's their only way out. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're motivated by that same type of thing. And my point was that I found that similar drive in those places. Right. It's short term um, and long term survival all at once. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's a big deal. It's, it's, it's a different, it creates a different athlete. Uh, and that's the, the, one of the things that I try so hard, you know, because I don't lift heavy anymore. Um, not what I consider heavy, you know, but I, at my peak, I was probably approaching 400 pound squat and, and things like that, you know, and, uh, now I keep everything 250 ish and under just because I want to stay, you know, healthy and, and fast and not get incredibly bulky. And also I can't risk injury anymore. I'm 45 next month. And, uh, that's, that's something that I, I need to keep myself healthy and not, there's no reason for me to push hard anymore. But the thing that I remember the most is the intensity levels when I train in those gyms and the gym, the, the gym that I grew up in then was 30 minutes from Westside Barbell. So we had a lot of, and if you remember the early, early nineties, Westside had a very strong reputation for, uh, felons and just really like really rough kind of guys that were coming in and out of there. Those guys were filtering in and out of our gym too. And so it was the same type of crowd and the same type of intensity. And I was very, very fortunate to be able to have experienced that intensity firsthand and that to be my introduction into fitness training because without that I don't think we could have achieved the levels that we achieved so quickly and also I'm very convinced that uh having coached you know I, I started professionally personal training in 2005 and uh and fitness training and so I've worked in spas and I've been a personal trainer and in corporate gyms and and I owned my own gym for a while and now I'm in uh you know, a CrossFit gym, I've got this vast uh, array of experiences with different types of clientele. And the biggest thing that I've seen that I've had to really try to push people uh, into the direction of is aggression, right? Because people don't have that. Right. Um, they don't have permission. The average person. No, they don't have the, there's, the drive is not there, right? The reason, the why is not strong enough. So to dive, to find dive into why. that a little bit more, like what, we talked about this a little bit uh, in one of our long conversations. Um, I, I can't even remember the quote, but we were talking about the uh, um, the quote of the the way back in the day where you know one is a warrior, you know, and he'll bring everybody home, um, you know, but the other ones are useful. I, I can't remember the exact quote. Somebody will probably put it in chat and remember that. But they have that that warrior that that one warrior has this 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 sight and this thought mindfulness and this aggression um and and we we, we do this me and uh, ryan hoover a program we, we developed called active killer defense where basically you're teaching school teachers how to fight active shooters when they're unarmed and the active shooter is uh, armed like how do we do that uh well one they need they need a um they need permission they don't think that's okay they think they, they don't think they can they've been taught their whole life to not do violence don't fight don't do this yes there is a time yes. when it is time to turn violence to 11 as far as that thing will go not hold anything back, everything it absolutely takes to end somebody, to make them stop doing whatever it is they're doing, and 
it's like society has no has, has given people have, have taken away permission to do that for some people. Uh, people have taken it that way, uh, and there is a time to fight. There's a time to kill. There's a time for all that. Um, and one of the things we just give them a few tools to do it, and then we have them do it, and they realize like, wow, training for this is fun. It's a very serious topic, serious thing going on. Um, but we are seeing not. I mean, I can't say it's our program that's done it. I mean, we're all over the, the country now. But um, one of the main that we're seeing. The, the conversation is one of the things we try to start on a national level is have conversations about to run and hide, fight. That's what they say all the time, run, hide, fight. But people have been running and hiding since they were a kid, playing hide and seek. But they haven't been fighting since they were a kid. They've been told not to yeah. fight since they were a kid. So they don't, they, one, they don't have permission to fight. They don't know how to fight. So we try to give them the tools to cover that fight side of things when running is not an option, when hiding is not an option. Here's some tools we can do to fight, and it's okay to fight. This is exactly what you need to do. It is moral. It is ethical to fight. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that's the problem that I run into even in the fitness side of it. Um, not even so much in the self-defense side. People are coming there looking for it at least. But in the fitness side, they're not even looking for aggression. They're just looking to work out. And they want to get stronger or faster or better. And, and I have to have that conversation like, hey, look, like, for example, I'm I'm a, an Olympic lifting coach, and I run uh, an Olympic lifting barbell program at the gym three days a week where we just work on the snatch and clean and jerk. Now, I will go on record saying that I personally do not believe you can become good at lifting heavy weights in the Olympic lifts without being aggressive. Like, there is just no way that you can be good at the snatch and the clean and jerk without being aggressive. And so I have to have this aggression conversation with some, some people and they, they're just very soft in their movements and they're, they're not aggressive. They're not violent. And I actually use the word violent. And yep. I'm like, listen, when you, when you drop to change levels to, to receive that bar overhead, you have to, do this in a violent movement. This has to be an aggressive, violent movement. And what I mean by that is that it's it's going to be something that you know is you're you're maximizing the force you can put out with as much aggression as you can. And so there's certain movements like the third pull of of each lift where you're you're transferring your body from behind the bar to under the bar and you have to move yourself and change levels uh, as fast as possible and there's no way to convey that to some of these people without explaining you know getting them in touch with their aggressive side like because you, if you continue to be lackadaisical about this you are not going to make this happen so I, I get deeper and I just had this conversation with one of the lifters on uh, you know Monday and he was like, well, you know, that's my problem is that I'm not aggressive all my life. And he literally said what you just said. He said, all my life I've thought because I've been taught that violence is bad and aggression is bad. And so I've not wanted to be any of those things because those are bad, you know. And he's right. like, now I'm starting to realize I'm starting to realize now that, you know, because now guess what? He has a why. Yeah. He told me his why. He said. I'm married now, and I want to be able to protect my wife. Well, guess what? Now, aggression and violence are, oh, these are good things now, right? We need to talk about this. We need to think, oh, now, where can I find this inside of myself? Because without it, you're not going to be able to do any of those things, right? So yep. now, 
now when you tie those things together in any physical task that involves, you know, aggressive movement and aggressive, uh, physical, aggressive physicality, we'll say, um, you know, that's, uh, that starts to like ping inside people's brains in a place that I think they have not been in touch with previously. Uh, what's the meme out there? It says you can't truly call yourself peaceful unless you're capable of great violence. If you're not capable of violence, you're not peaceful. You're harmless. You know, it's like that kind of kind of the same thing. That, you know, I was brought up in the Marine Corps. I was 17 years old. I've been 17 for about a month and a half when I got to the Marine Corps, and I was told from the very beginning, and I was shown, and I was seen. I saw it in in old battles and maneuvers that that happened, and and tactics that were used, and and. I uh, started getting in a, in a CQB environment. Um, it, it doesn't matter. If you're going to make a bad decision and do the wrong thing, do it with violence of action. Every single thing that you do, deliberate and violent, explosive and bold. And you can turn a bad decision into an advantage if it's done violently. Um, it's just... it. Just the person who is the most violent. I don't know if you ever, I'm sure you have, uh, anybody out there has, has been in a fight with somebody and they just think it's going to be a pushing contest and maybe they, they throw a blow and like you see it on TV where there's like one shot and that fight's over. Well, when you do that to somebody and they come at you with 50 of them right there and they're picking you up and slamming you on the ground and they're on top of you, uh, there is an element of surprise there, right? Like it's uh, the, the violence of action completely changes anything going that next step higher than whatever it is they're doing to make them stop. Yes. Uh, Varg, I, I don't know if it's going to be this episode, but I, I, one day I want to talk about some of those, um, events that went on in prison, like out in the yard when they had the concert, you know, and, uh, when we talk about avoidance and talk about sent, you're reading a crowd, um, talking, oh, yeah. talking about, um, you know, because we one thing that we have we do out here in the firearms world and, and the defense world, um, we like to we like to we like to tell people that they need situational awareness, right? Like whatever that means, right? <laughs> right? They need situational awareness, which is true, but then we don't really give people the tools and the observation skills so they can become trained observers to to observe these things, uh, all the different things that are out there, especially you know the human side and and atmospherics and everything else. Um, and we'll also say, you know, the number one thing they should be is, is good avoiders. Avoidance is key. But I'm not over here selling classes to learn how to avoid people, right? I'm selling handgun classes. And a lot of people are wanting to go, they'll go take the, the unarmed defense class, the combatives class. They'll take the handgun class, the rifle class. But there's just not a whole lot of, of call out there for somebody to go sign up, travel across the country, uh, flights and hotels to go sit in a room and learn about avoidance for two days straight, right? It's just, it's just not, as, not as sexy. And uh, I wonder why that is. Uh, because, you know, the avoidance doesn't look good on Instagram, you know. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> you can't pose with your new avoidance, right? And be like, hey, check this out. This, I've got this new accessory on my avoidance skills, right? It's There's no gear. There's no accessories. There's no cool shit. Um, and I honestly, it, you know, I have a hard time with that. Uh, even going back to some of the things you talked about, about understanding your reading, your environment, I try very hard to incorporate these types of things into classes when I teach classes. So when I do a handgun class, there's going to be elements of, 
Uh, like I just could, did one of my favorite classes down here in Okeechobee, Florida, uh, last month or yeah, last month, and um, there was a lot of just movement with the gun, and I do uh, blue gun drills where I send people to move through uh, panicking runners or people who are changing directions and things like that. And what I'm looking for is uh, the conveyance of the importance of muzzle control and control of the weapon during uh, movement and inside of a chaotic environment, which is important. And no one talks about these things. So the reason that um, I, I do every like, class, Vark. Every, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. Yeah, very few of us, right? Yep. There's very few no, of us. No, it's very but, true. Um, and so... You know the 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 reason that I feel like I can talk about that is because I sent, I spent so many years reading crowds and watching groups and understanding the the vibrations of a room, right? Like where what what frequency is this room vibrating at? And I know that's a very esoteric concept, but uh, there's no other way to put it. You know, you, it's a feel. You develop it, and you can come into a room and you're like. There's tension here, yep. and um, and the average person can't even pick up on that, right? Or I can see someone who no, I, is I, having I think, a bad day. Right? I think the average person does pick up on it. They don't recognize it. No, it's stuffed way down, they, right? Like, they, like they, they're long. It's there. It's yeah. it's it's whistling in their ear a little bit, but they don't recognize it. It's kind of you know Varg's uh, into creative writing, just like my myself, and we talk about writing all the time together. Um, and, and one of the things in a, in a book I, I, I was reading recently, the author was explaining that, you know, if you're writing a film or, or a television show, you have got to, and we, this is a common thing in creative writing, there needs to be tension in every scene because humans don't pay attention unless there's a threat, unless there's a threat to something they care about, something that they need, uh, you know, from back in, if we're, if we're super safe in our house and we don't have anything to worry about, you know, we'll lay, lay down and we'll go to sleep, right? We won't have any trouble sleeping. But if you think that you're going to, somebody's going to come in and kill you that night, you're going to die the next minute because somebody's after you and you know they're coming, you're probably not getting any sleep, right? So if I'll be, if I'm watching something on television and I'm playing Candy Crush on my phone, I'm, I'm just all in the game. I didn't pay attention. Then I hear that music hit, that tension. I hear somebody yelling, you know? You ever hear a mom in a grocery store yell at their kid? You're like, you're like stand up straight. You're like, whatever. If you're touching something, they say, don't touch that. You like put it down because that, that mom voice came out. There's tension. There's a problem right here. There's a threat, right? And we pay attention when those things happen, when the tension exists, when the threat exists. So they probably see it. They probably recognize or they probably, uh, they probably feel something, but they have no idea what it is. It's making them pay attention to something, but they don't know what to pay attention to. Right? They have no idea. I, I do. I, I agree with you, but I also think it's a skill that it, that, that is developed. Too. No, like I totally agree. Put into, I totally agree. Yeah, if you're put into a very uh, dangerous, hostile environment, like environments that you and I both have faced, um, different, very different environments, but the same type of hostility and threat to your life existed at at very for a very prolonged time like when you're in an environment like that for a prolonged amount of time uh i think these skills become very refined and you can become extremely accomplished at that so much so that it it allows you to become a very adept predator yourself because yes. you now understand how all of these things work and you understand how people react and you can create the illusions of 
tension where there's not, or you can create the illusion of relaxation where there's tension. Like you understand all of these things at that level. And that's where I get deep into my work on concealment and my, you know, the, one of the topics I really work on, uh, hard is concealment and conveying that to the average person, what concealment really means and how far you can use that as a, as a field craft. Right. And which is what it is. In many ways, you could you can conceal much craft. more than a gun. You're not just concealing your gun. Yeah, you're concealing tools, intentions, capabilities. Yep. yep, yep. And uh, and so masking and uh, projecting, you know, those are things that you learn. You're like you look for people projecting their insecurities and things like that, and then you look for people projecting certain things, uh, overcompensating. Uh, you look for people projecting that they may have uh, tools on them because. You know, if guy's got a shank or a shiv, he he might be patting his pocket or he might be patting his waistline, make sure it's not slipping down, like the same type of stuff. And so when you learn to watch for these types of things, then you learn how to uh, create the illusion of things where they're not there and how important it can be to to be misleading at the time uh, that's needed, too. Uh, and so predatory behavior becomes very second nature as well. And... I think in order to be a good defender against uh, uh, human predators, you need to achieve a certain level of uh, human predatory skill yourself. Yep. And this is what I believe. And uh, and I don't and, and I have a hard time getting that across to people because there are things that I'll do in classes that guys will be like, man, I don't know about this. This doesn't really this doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And so they may walk away thinking, yeah, maybe he's not, you know, because they go to another class and they're like, oh, man, I, I, I got out of so-so's class and I, I took a whole, uh, you know, 0. 0.4 off of my shot time for blah, blah, blah. And it's like I seen real, you know, tangible results. And I'm like, you know, there's other results that are not so tangible that they're going to take time to sink into your brain. And those are the things that I'm uh, sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, in a very non-appreciated uh, way, trying to convey that to people that these are things that are going to sink into your brain slowly. This mindset, the uh, ability to read and control yourself, emotion, so that you can see data coming at you in real time, that kind of stuff is not going to come out of an eight-hour class. I'm not going to give right. you a tangible no. result of that in an eight-hour class. And, you know, it, it's great having that under one second from concealment draw. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I hope that's not all you have. Right? Like, like yeah. let's, there's there's just so much more. Uh, I've said a long time ago on a podcast, and, and I got some heat for it, and I still say it all the time, too. I'm not afraid. Uh, the shooting is the easy part. It it, it really is the, the easy part. Yeah, it's 10 or 20% of the fight, man. Honestly. And, and then if we if we if we take away weapons handling away from it, it no longer falls under the shooting part. The shooting is yeah. definitely the easy part. Right? Yeah. It's even more so. Um yeah, I agree. So do you know of any any good books on uh reading the crowd, Vark? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's this one book I heard about called Violence of Mind. I think. Violence of Mind is a book that uh, that Varg wrote. Um, it's uh, been a very popular book uh, in our community. Uh, and if you have not picked it up, you need to. Uh, I have I have had it for um, over a year now. 
and I, I, we, me and Varg have almost done this podcast many times, and and one day we're going to do one. We're going to talk just about this book, and I, I wanted to, I didn't want to read it. I wanted to ask questions, and I, I wanted to have a, a conversation similar to what we've had before. This one, maybe another episode, um, without reading. But so now, as we've had this conversation, I can go, I can go read the book. Um, but uh, what that, what tell us what what uh, violence of mind is about? What what is, what is what's contained in these pages? Well, the title is uh, Violence of Mind, Training and Preparation for Extreme Violence. So I tried to be comprehensive as an, an introduction manual, kind of a little bit about my past. I go in-depth about my incident that caused me to catch the charge in the first place. Uh, but I talk about my, my, my childhood growing up and violence and how a lot of my family is very violent and my family – a lot of my family went to prison and uh, just set the background that it wasn't just that event. Like I grew up in violence. I was raised in extreme violence. And uh, and then that just continued through uh, through that experience as well. And then I go into the lessons that I learned from these things. Like number one, the first chapter is mission, understanding your mission and having a very clear mission, having your internal and external parameters set very clearly because that's going to both keep you out of trouble and it's going to allow you to operate with full confidence because you know what you can do and what you can't do and why you're going to do it and why you wouldn't do this. You have your whys and you have your hows all worked out. And that's uh, uh, ties into self-control and mindset and what I call implementation, which is your, you know, your culture, your um, – What did you call that again? You, 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 you broke up for me. I don't know if you broke up for them. Uh, orientation. So I stole that term from Boyd. Yep. Uh, the orientation part of the cycle, right? Um, I believe that Boyd, everything I've studied and read, Boyd believed that that was the, as he called it, the Schwerpunkt, right? The most important all encompassing part. Um, orientation is what you bring to the fight. Everything else happens in the fight. So orientation is what you start with. It's your, uh, it's your experience, your confidence, your attachments. It's the tools your, that you brought uh, that will enable you to process what's going on. Yeah, it's 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 why you make decisions. Or, or everything is everything is, correctly. You know, yeah, everything that you everything that you decide and come to conclusions on is all processed through these things, right? And that's what you bring to the fight. And you can manipulate those things, but it takes some time. It's not something you can change in class or over a year even. I, I do believe that changing, like we just talked about it, people's orientation to violence and aggression is colored by this uh, upbringing of not of not being allowed to do it, and it's wrong, and so they're just they feel very strongly against it, and you have to change that cultural input in order to have a solid, reliable decision-making process during a high-stress life-or-death event before you can have a reliable thought process during that event, you have to change those things. So you can do it, but it does take time. And I talk about that in the book and also talk about uh, firearms training, combatives training, uh, some standards, like how to, how to set up standards and what standards should, should feel like uh, basically, you know, just guiding someone to it. But a lot of the book surprisingly is about self-control. It's about self-control and, um, and just uh, understanding yourself so that you can build yourself into a more reliable whole person that includes being a strong fighter. 
Can we can we talk about your self control for a second? Ah, uh, we can try to. <laughs> we can try to. This is. Yeah. I don't want to get too personal. I don't want to ruin our our relationship here because I I appreciate it, I enjoy it and I, I love talking to you and I like I like being there you know whenever you need somebody to talk to. Um, yeah. But um. I asked Varg once, you know, because there there's a part of me. That wants to go, um, that that wants to go deploy. That wants to go find some child molesters, that some some human traffickers, and I want to go shove a gun in their face. I want to slam their head on the ground. I want to curb stomp people. Like I, I want to rip somebody out of a car. Uh, I want to get in a gunfight. You know, like there's a there's a part of me that that dreams about that. Um, that because I I want I want that level of. Um, of, of testing myself against another person and, and fighting what I believe to be evil. You know, I, I, I miss that. Right. And, um, and that there, there's a part of me that, that, that really, really misses it and, and thinks about it a lot and that missing from my life. And I, so I try to find things to, to replace that, that are much more wholesome. Um, and Mark and I were talking about that and he, he said, and I may not quote you perfectly, but there is, there's an animal there's a convict, you know, within you that that in some weird way misses that violence of, of, of the knife fight, the stabbing. Right. And, and I and I asked you, I was like, so what happens if somebody if, if you've got a knife on the street and somebody's, you know, fighting you or they're they're about to attack you and, and you get control of this knife, you know, or whatever. Like, what are you going to do? And uh, Varg told me that he'd probably die right there on the street. Because he can't let that inner convict out again. You don't want to. You don't want to let your that animal go with that knife, again. And I. That was one of those things where I was just. It's like wow, man. It's like just it just that that is a a level of self control and self awareness, that most people have never experienced. I thought we lost something. I think I lost your audio there. I I think we're back now. But there was a it, we cut okay. out for a second. Yeah. Yeah, we had a little glitch here. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the. You know, you have to think about this in terms of uh, first of all, the reason that we the, the and let's be clear for the listeners too, the reason that we thirst for savagery is because we've tasted savagery. Right. All right. So it's very clear. Like when I get somebody, like when I had my last. Um, CQB uh, force on force class where I work with uh, civilians and lone patrol officer type uh, scenarios. I had someone in my class that was um, never been military, never been a criminal, never been a cop, never been in a fight. He's probably 40 years old and, and just constantly talking about how he wanted to get in a fight. He wanted, he couldn't wait to get in a gunfight. Uh, just a really, really poor attitude about it. And the difference between, uh, him and you and I is that we've tasted blood. I've had, I've been soaked in my enemy's blood, so I know exactly what it feels like. I know the level of satisfaction that comes with that on a very personal level, and um, you know I have to be very careful about how we talk about this. Uh, but um, yes, no, yeah, because sure. it could be very mi misunderstood very easily. Yep. So, uh, but but having tasted that and having felt that, that you know. Uh, you were challenged, you know, we were challenged in, in ways that m many men never get to see in their lives. I've, and it I've, brings you it, into I, I think maybe a, with a safe way to put it for me is 
I have never felt more alive than after a fight where I almost didn't make it through it, but prevailed for my, my own skill, my team skills. Um, we out fought other humans who wanted to kill us in, in the, the grandest and most savage of competitions prevailed, right? There is, there is, there isn't a very, uh, alive feeling that you get that as you, you pray, and it's not a quick one. Like it, it'll last, it'll last for a while. And in my case, I mean, I'll, I'll admit that, um, you know, early in my life as an 18 year old kid and, you know, uh, up until probably 25 years old, I didn't have very good self-control. So, uh, for me, it was the experience of, of unleashing that anger and getting that complete satisfaction of, of gaining that dominance over another human being who I absolutely hated and, uh, and seeing the quit in their eyes. Like when I see the quit in their eyes and the, and, and their, their lights are going dim that, um, and this was someone who was, you know, previously trying to do massive damage to me or, you know, trying to kill me for all intents and purposes. Right. And, uh, and, and to be able to unleash that on another human being and feel the satisfaction of being, being the victor over someone who, uh, was trying to be the victor over you on a very personal level. This is very up close and personal dealing with, you know, knives and, 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 you know, being covered in their blood and touching them and, you know, being locked in a, uh, a very, uh, violent embrace with this person for a long time. That's a very personal feeling when you uh, reach the point of victory over them and they and they begin to experience what, what we call the quit, uh, especially with knives when the, the, the fight just starts to leave them and you can see it happen. And that's a, that's a very intense moment. So when I'm standing in line somewhere and someone's being, uh, some guy's being absolutely obnoxious in public, and uh, and he's picking fights with people, and he's picking on you know innocent people and shit. Um, my thirst to see the quit in his eyes is very strong, and uh, I have to not allow that to happen ever. And to go back to the quote that you talked about, you know, uh, um, the correct uh, quote would have more to do with me if 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 I thought the result of me stabbing a person was going to be going to prison. I would rather, you know, die fighting in any other way I could than to go back to prison. That's all there is to it. Right. Uh, that's my that's my take. And a lot of people can't understand that. It's because they've never been there. They don't understand what it's like. And if you haven't been there, um, if you've been there and you're like, I'll go back, then, hey, I'll, power to you. There's a lot of people like an 80 plus percent recidivism rate. So uh, there are yeah, people like Varg I'm is... not one of them. I, when I interview, when I talk to, about Varg to my friends and, and people who don't know who my students, and I bring up Varg, and I bring him up in every class. I talk about that thing he just spoke about, the quit. Um, Varg, when, when he explained to me, we, we talked about the quit for a while and, and all the uh, the almost scientific terms that the violent criminals have developed to describe fighting against law enforcement officers, other people, citizens. Um, they have terms for things. They have, they have, they have things that... They live in a completely different world than you and I, uh, fellow suburbanites. They're a completely different world. Uh, and and we, we cross paths with them. We stand in line with them every day. We, we do lots of things yes. with them. And we don't rec- most people don't recognize it. They don't see it at all. They haven't developed that eye. They look ear, like you. The scent. 
exactly. Uh, but they, but they, they walk out of that store and they go back to a different world than you, you, you go to, completely different world. So that the when when Varg, when we talked about the quit, um, such a uh, there's there's things that happen in the quit. You know, people typically apologize. You know, say uh, mm-hmm. they, they they look for forgiveness. They uh, um, they they try to get sympathy from the the person who is who has brought them to the quit. You know, they they want to. They, it's like the they no longer have the fight in them, but they will try to somehow persuade them to not finish them, not, not let them, not, not kill them, you know, just, or they just become apologetic because they're dying. Right. Yep. I've seen it. It happened to me. You know, that guy's bleeding out of 23, 24 holes. I drop him back on the ground and he looks up at me and he says, I'm sorry. Well, it's it's late for that. You know, you you made that mistake a little while ago, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Should have said that an hour ago. Right. Um, so, man, I had a, man. You just got me all. I could I could think about that the quit and uh, the psychological impact of that and everything just so long and every that just totally got me all. Well, that's why we fight. That's why we fight. So, so here's the thing that I try to convey. Another concept I try to convey about fighting, especially fighting inside of a structure, because it's it, it's even more achievable there, um, in 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 a remote kind of way, but. You know, psychologically overwhelming a person's plans is one of the things I'm looking for very early in a fight. So I want mm-hmm. to I want to convey to this person that what he thought was going to happen is not what this is going to be like. And once that starts to sink into him, then then his uncertainty is going to grow. And uncertainty is the enemy of every fighter. And if I can create uncertainty in his mind quickly or early in the fight. I can tip that fight into my favor and gain the momentum. And once I get the momentum, if I hold it, I can put the pressure on him to break him down. And so, and that's Boyd as well. Talking, yeah, that's all talking purely psychological. And that's Boyd, but that's also basic predatory behavior, yep, right? For sure. Um, it, you know, that's you put the pressure on until they break. You know, and psychologically, you watch. Uh, um, you, you see people give up and, and the quit can happen through, um, uh, you know, bleeding them out, obviously, but they also can begin to experience it psychologically before physically. And if I can start to create that uncertainty in their minds and, or, or help you to create that uncertainty in their minds, like one of the things that I talk about inside of a structure, like let's say your house, the way I have my house set up, you know, there's if somebody comes in my house at night, they're going to be dealing within a very short amount of seconds. And I mean seconds. They're going to be dealing with a very loud audible alarm. They're going to be dealing with a very large 100-plus pound dog that's barking and, and, and very large and loud and, and scary at night. And they're going to be dealing with me already having a procedure that's already in place and practiced, right? So those things are there to buy me the time to enact my procedures. So while, while let's take just one example of the, the audible alarm. If an audible alarm is going off for me, that's a comforting blanket. That's a, uh, that's my, my woobie, right? Because when that happens, I know now I'm working inside of that. That's my camouflage. That's my auditory camouflage. Whereas they will see that as pushing their timeline up. That was something they didn't quite expect. 
that's going to start pushing their timeline up. It starts to raise the pressure for them. You know, these are all things that are set up. And, and this is just an example of how I do it for me, not exactly how I teach people to do it because everybody's uh, situation is individual. Every different. little thing is making them reactionary. Just, just a yes, little bit. You're, yep. you're creating that. Yeah, you're creating an, a, a chaotic environment that uh, that has too much stimulus for them to react appropriately, and uh, and that begins to change the certainty level in their mind, and then and that allows me to push the fight hard, and so that's how my own house is set up for anybody that might be thinking about breaking in. Uh, that's what you would be facing. So, the uh, and, and it's all about you know achieving that breaking uh, of the enemy's mind i'm more concerned with that with that now than i am about you know as a younger man going head to head with people and sh proving how tough i am i i'm more in i'm more into the idea of breaking you down mentally and then i'm okay with never getting my ass kicked again ever i'm totally fine yes. with it. totally fine with it. yes <laughs> <laughs> i'd be happy to know yeah 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 that's the that's the point, you know, and that's where in, in trying to think about avoidance, avoidance can be there's different levels to avoidance and, you know, and avoiding getting your ass kicked, but still winning a fight is it's still it's still it's, it's, it's avoidance. Yep, for sure. Yeah. You what, know, so so we're going to think about it. What do you think? Um, gosh, so many good little things here. Like we could talk about any one of these for just a, a whole podcast. Um what do you think our community and, you know, the internet, the Instagrammers or whatever, what do you, what do you think we get wrong the most about, you know, violent predators, violent criminals? That they're, that they're stupid and they're unprepared. I think that's the biggest mistake made. Yeah. 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 Um, because, you know, I've known a lot of convicts. And I've fought with several convicts. Uh, I've lived with a couple thousand of them over a five-year period, and a few thousand. And you know, so a rotation uh, of a camp that holds two thousand people, I've seen at least a few thousand people uh, up close and personal over very long, prolonged periods of time. And I am here to tell you that some of those guys are straight-up warriors. I mean, I've I've met some guys that were incredibly intelligent, incredibly just strong, fast. They train, they train for the purpose of fighting. Um, there are gangs that have very strict codes about being physically fit, uh, training your mind. They read Klausowitz, they read Sun Tzu. Uh, you know that this. These are things that are very well known in there, and I try to push the concept of the higher order predator and and this whole thing about two concepts that I try to battle. Uh, not saying that they're always wrong, but to teach them as universal principles like they're taught as is wrong, and I'll say that until the day I die. So the first thing is that um, you know that they're that they're stupid and uh you know they they pick on the weak right uh that's not that's not always true and uh what i you know what i can enlighten you about in that avenue is the the more you project your strength the the harder you're going to get hit 
So mm-hmm. it doesn't change the for everybody. It doesn't change the the yes or no question of whether you're going to be the target. It just changes how much intensity they're come at you with, and and how, and the more information you give them about your tools, intentions, and capabilities. And if you're projecting it, that level of strength to somebody, and his friends or subordinates are observing you projecting that level of you've just guaranteed that you're fighting. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's picked up. But but also, too, it's just that, you know, um, humans are very lazy by nature and they're going to hit you with the level of force that they think they need to use. And that's not always going to be maximum because very few people go 100 percent. And I think if you think about that, you'll understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But um, so when you when you face something like that, you know, you realize that, uh it's not always a yes or no question. It's a how question, right? Like, how am I going to do it? The other side is that the, the, um, you know, they're, they're not like you attitude, right? This whole mythology about how they're not like you. They don't think like you, they're not like you. And the problem is, is that you just talked about this a few minutes ago. You you're in line with these people at the grocery store and you deal with these people on a daily basis. And you don't know this because they look like you and they act like you and they talk and walk like you. And that's that's something that uh, that I try to get across in terms of, you know, stop looking for things that are different because you're gonna miss the the wolf that's right next to you, yep, right? For sure. And, yeah, it because you're you're looking for this this you're looking for an anomaly. Like, yeah, and there's it, not. And it's not. It's yeah. not. No, like. The, the one who's an anomaly and if is you probably say, the dude you can kick his ass if you went to the gym three times a week. Like that, the anomalies are easily spotted. They're, they, you know how to deal with it. They're fake. They're the loud kid in the, the room. Like, yeah, they're, they're the drug addicts or, you know, they're, they're cracked out and they couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. You know, and, and that's usually that kind of stuff, that, that attitude about people. That's that very small market of criminal. Yeah. But there's a larger, you know, population there that you don't see. And it's because they are smarter. And I would think, me personally, I think it's a larger population than the the shitheads you see hanging out in front of the Circle K. And, and they're all they they might think differently, but they don't. I mean, they they, they have they have the same motivations, right? They have they, they, the same yes. motivations. They they need water, food, shelter, sex, uh, respect. You know, all those but things. Here's the their way of going the about them. Totally different. And here, and here's the point about that, right? So this is very important. Once you know the Asians have said this shit for a th- like three thousand years, and nobody's listening to them still, right? And, and <laughs> what I mean is they're they've talked about, you know, to know your enemy is to know yourself. To know yourself is to know your enemy, and people just bypass that, like it doesn't mean any. And honestly, if you have trained and you've overcome adversity, like if you go to war. Or you go to prison, you overcome these aftermaths, you overcome PTSD, you overcome all of these things, you overcome fears, you overcome uh, anxieties. Like you learn about uncertainty in yourself, how to how to combat that, how to create this self confidence and and self control that is not it wasn't previously there for you. Once you learn those things about yourself, you need to understand as your enemy had to create those same things for themselves. They had to go through those same processes. Everybody's afraid uh, at, at some level over something. There's anxieties. There's they have attachments. They have things they care about. Things they want. 
you know, these the basic, basic universal principles behind what motivates you and, and how you had to overcome certain things and what can demotivate you are the same things that apply to him because he's a human. Yep. He's not a wolf. He's not a dog. He's not a beast. He's, he's not a functional, human, pure just instinct. like you. Yep. Yeah. And so once you learn how that stuff works in you, for example, uncertainty. Once the reason I feel good about my ability to create uncertainty in my opponent is because I have overcome uncertainty in myself. And that's important. Yep. Because you understand the process of what creates uncertainty. I know that if, if everything I'm doing in a fight starts to not work, I'm becoming a pretty uncertain person For pretty sure. quick. Right away. You know, so if I can create that in the other person, I'm already ahead of the game. And that goes back to that surprise, violence of action, you know, just boldness, violence to 11. That's part of it. Yep. Yep. That's part of it. And obviously yep. breaking and down the, the decisions. Yeah, and all of your, your mindset, all that stuff that goes into your decision-making process and everything, that's that's all, you know, that's what's built. And that's the thing that, you know, a lot of, it's like myself, I, I grew up in a very violent environment, very violent family, you know, very uh, nasty stabbing attack in my house when I was a kid. Uh, I was nearly the one of the victims of that. And, um, and just that's just one example of many, you know, uh, I had an uncle murdered, I had a cousin murdered, um, and you grow up with this type of thing. And then by the time you, and then you, you go to prison and you get even more violence and more brutality and more lack of care and lack of compassion from other human beings. And, and you're going to tell me that you have never been in a fight and never done anything hard in your life that has like been death defying and you're going to go up against this dude who's been through all of this shit for 20 years, 25 years. And, uh, and he has, has tried his hand at violence multiple, multiple times and is very good at it. He may even have some bodies behind him now. And, uh, and you're just going to look at him like he's a shithead, right? Like, right. You're making a mistake. Yeah. You're making a huge mistake there. You know, uh, just because he doesn't drive a nice car, doesn't have his shit together and have a good credit score. That means nothing. No, nothing. no, no, the credit score doesn't matter to fight. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Actually, yeah. I think the one with the worst credit usually have the better, the better fighting skills. You know, that, that, I think that, there's a there's, there's, we need, we need, yeah. we need to create like a, a, a spectrum here. Like way far to the right is good credit score and ability to fight. Way far to the left is like bad credit score and high ability to fight, right? <laughs> I think there's a, yeah. There's something there's a, to that. There's something there's to that. that cause and effect there somewhere <laughs> that's interesting that's pretty cool uh i like it that's a t-shirt right don't yeah. steal my t-shirt idea i'm writing that down uh, that's cool um man i was gonna raise there was another idea that came up right there oh yeah uh a few days ago and i think about this a lot because i see it all the time all over social media i see folks that have never been shot at never had explosions go off near them never think that they're going to die in the next second but they don't know where the death's coming from you know, there, there's a feeling that you get from, like, I, I can't even look at this guy who's about to kill me. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a bullet coming out of somewhere any minute. There is a, uh, my vehicle that I'm in is going to disappear off the face of the planet any minute. And I'm not sure which side of the street the IED is on, right? Like, it's maybe underneath it. Like, I am, I, I, something is going to happen in the next moment that is going to take my life incredibly violently. And I'm going to live very short amount of time and I'm going to be able to realize like holy crap that was it I don't really know what's going on then the lights are going to go out like how many times I've pictured this in my life is 
is incredible. A, a lot of times, and it's not healthy. Uh, it, it, but I, I, I've been, I've had those thoughts and those feelings many times, thinking I'm going to die in the very next moment, but I don't even know how I'm going to die. Right, like, but it's coming. There's so many different ways I can die right now. Which way is going to get me? Am I going to see my guts come out in front of my chest, or am I going to catch it in the face? Will I see the bullet at the last minute? What's going to happen? What's it going to sound like? What's it going to feel like? You know, am I going to see my teeth on the ground next to me? You know, am I going to see blood coming up? I I, I pictured. You're just, you're describing every time my mind, what goes on inside my head every time I get on my fucking motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's that's probably great. That's probably kept you safe on that motorcycle. And I think it's kept me safe. It's kept me more observant many times. Right. I think that that's a great thing. It's, it's a, it's something that's developed from that, that, that IV trickle of adrenaline. Uh, of chemicals that go into your body and your brain creates in, in extreme dangerous well, situations. It's that, it's that functional PTSD co- uh, a concept that you have, right? Like, right. it's I believe it's a part of that because I am a hundred percent like that, and I, you know, mine comes from not knowing where you know the threat's going to come from in more of a of a civilian or uh, prison penitentiary atmosphere, but that's just still very real, and um. And I have the same exact stuff. And like I said, when I get on a bike, like I'm like everything is trying to kill me. And I'm trying and I'm thinking about those things. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm wearing a blue shirt today. I wonder if this is going to be like soaked in blood. By the and time you love it. Over, you know? And you love yeah, it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Just like yeah. because it makes me it makes me better at what I do. Right. You know, it makes me a better rider. It makes me more defensive. Uh, I'm not sure if it was you that I was talking to the other day. But if I when I teach a class too many times in a row. If I teach the same handgun class like every weekend for a couple of months straight, I am just wore out. I, I know what questions are going to be asked. I know what problems the shooters are going to have. Yes. I know everything. I've already, I already know what's going into the class. Nobody's going to show up with a new problem. It's just not going yeah. to happen. Like they, 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 they stopped that a long time ago. Like they, they, yeah. There's never anybody showing up with something I've not seen before. Right? That, that happened that ended like over a decade ago. But what's interesting is if I teach this class so many times – I feel like I teach a horrible class. Students will say it was great and they loved it. But I, in my mind, I'll know it's a subpar class. It is not my yes. my normal level. If I don't walk into that class a little bit nervous, if I'm not a little bit nervous about about teaching this class, it is not going to be as good of a class. I, I like to have a little bit of nervousness. So I spread my stuff out. I stop teaching classes as much. I stop traveling as much uh, yep. because I I think it's important for me to have a, a, my, my high-level product. Uh, rather than have a quantity of low-level products, right? So I, I, I just I, I can't sustain that same high level doing it over and over and over again. But the reason all this came up, and the reason I was talking about all this to begin with, is I, I see everybody on social media who has never been a, in a fight, never been punched in the face, you know, never, never, never heard their that that high-pitched snap of their nose, you know, never, and and then reached up there and filled, felt it, and then the, it's not in the usual spot. Like like nobody's like people who have who have never felt any of those feelings. They're all like, and I think some of them are tongue and cheek, cheek joking, but I think some of them are serious talking about the boogaloo. You know the great the where we get to go yeah. grab our guns and wear our our AR five hundred armor and our our cheap plane carriers <laughs> that we're going to take off after our first five mile hike, um, right? Like I, I these guys, I they have absolutely zero idea, no inclination whatsoever, no baseline to draw from what they're talking about, what they're asking for, what they're saying that they're willing to do. What they they have no understanding of the fitness level that is required for what they're talking about doing. Right, zero understanding of that. 
yeah. uh, that they're they're not only going to be ineffective in the fight, but they will likely not even make it to the fight, and they will be a liability instead of an asset. Yes. But don't go tell them that on the internet, right? Like no, no, <laughs> you're 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 like a traitor fud or or something. If you it, it's just it's ridiculous because the meme pages yeah. are running things like the the meme pages who have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, the the internet is just pure hell. I don't even like it. Um social media is just a it's a psychological swamp. And uh I try to I wish I could get off of it and if I ever achieve a position in life where I don't have to have social media to to run my business, you will not see me anymore. I will ghost out. Um, and it's, it's good in a lot of ways we can keep in touch with each other and stuff, but, but the things that you're talking about just become so burdensome. Yep. Um, and it, it's just, uh, it drowns out good conversation. It, it drowns out it makes good want, ideas. They don't want to talk. Yeah. It's me, me. I don't, you don't, you don't see me conversating on social media much. Yep. You know, and I have, I think you know, some good things to add to the conversation, but, but it's not going to happen. No, because you get, you get drowned out by somebody who's really loud and really long wrong at the same time. Yeah. Or you see ridiculous stuff. Like I, you know, wasn't too long ago. I just expressed my opinion about my own shooting preferences and how I don't want to go to ranges that either myself or a competent instructor is not in control of like public ranges and i don't want to go on like recreational shooting trips with oh yeah that's like, that that article went wild yeah oh my god oh. dude i was like i call i was called pretentious I, at least 600 times you know uh yeah. it, and it was just it was like i didn't attack anybody in that no i didn't say anything except for people who flag everybody and you deserve attacked if that's you for sure um but you know and it was just ridiculous how much uh, – I mean it was shared like a hundred times and, and just – I was attacked from one end of the industry to the other. And people – you know, people who ha have careers of like, you know, taking pictures and writing articles and never been in a fight in their lives were saying that I was the one trying to be – like I was trying to be edgy and shit. Like get out of here. Get over no, yourself. I, I, like most of us in the the, the, the training, the, the nationally traveling around, teach instructors feel the same way. If I've got a, from friends, I'm going home to visit family, and my friends are like, "Hey, let's go up to the range shoot." I'm going to find every way I possibly can to not do that. Right? I have yes. zero desire to go to the range to go shoot guns. Like doesn't excite me even the slightest. I hate shot show range day. I, I tried every way to get out of it this year. Like I that that that's the <laughs> people I, don't understand that. Right, I, I, they I don't get it. And that the, there's there is a level of danger out there among yes. people who write articles in the firearms industry, and that I I'm not I don't I don't really need to be out there. It's like I but what I do love, I love recording and and watching you know you know those tangible results we talked about earlier. I I love whenever I provoke thought in a student. And or I I recognize something that, that gets me thinking, you know, that, that could be used yeah, someday to save my life. That, right. Like I, I love that. I love yeah. the training side of it. Like like that's that's what I don't I don't I don't know what the barrel's made out of in my favorite AR. I don't know what the finish no. is. I don't I don't I don't even know what triggers in it right now. Like that that stuff does not <laughs> matter to me at all. What matters to me is the software yeah. and how I integrate the software with the hardware. 
Like that's that's what matters, and it's mm-hmm. not a it, like all the other stuff. Like you can call me pretentious if you want. Like I, I just it doesn't interest me. I, I don't care about it. I I'm not a huge gun guy. Like I I like guns. I you'll have a hard time finding a a, a bigger Second Amendment supporter. But oh, man, I, I I I I spend more money on books than I do guns. Yeah, because I love books. See, man, you're preaching now. You're on fire. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, we got to start uh, wrapping this up, though. We've been going for an hour and a half. Man, I don't know if we even talked about anything good, but we talked about a little bit of a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. But I, I know every time me and Vark talk, I, next this year at OTOA, what, what I'm going to do is we're going to go sit down at that same booth at that little crappy restaurant yeah. there in the resort. I'm going to get a Bloody Mary, Mary or Bloody Maria, I think I got last time, like with tequila. I don't know, I don't know what you got, but we're going to get it. And we're going to sit down there with, with some microphones on us, and we're going to recreate that same cup. We're going to talk. I'm going to play the listener of the podcast, and you're going to play Varg Freeborn. And and we're going to we're going to get it. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. I'll see you there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I put a link in uh, Twitch. If you're listening to the podcast after we've recorded this, uh, you can go watch the video. We don't really handle guns or talk about anything that you really need to see visually, but you'll get to see uh, Varg's not-so-smiling face and my constantly smiling face up here on the on the video. And uh, that, that's always my goal when I talk to Varg. I like, I like when Varg smiles. I've seen it like five times. It's my favorite. Yeah. Right? They yeah, a little bit of one. I see it in your eyes. you got a smile yeah. in your eyes right now, just not in the mouth. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah. I'm working on it. Nah, I'm working on it, too. Um, I'm taking classes for smiling, man. Actually. Are you really? Yeah. I'm going to start an online program. Somebody I'm, needs to. Somebody needs to teach people I'm, like me how to smile. You sign up today. Online smiling program. <laughs> uh, but Varg's book is linked in there. You can look at A Violence of Mind. It'll be in the show notes of this episode. You can click on that and you can check it out. Uh, but before we call it a complete uh, episode here, we got a few questions possibly out there. We've been popping up between like 15 and 5. Uh, viewers out here in our first live episode of Gunfighter Cast. Um, Edward's got a question, maybe? Maybe talking about some yeah. of the signs people can be aware of to maybe prevent an attack, you know, some pre-assaultive indicators or whatever you want to call it. Um, so is it, that's a very wide topic, mm-hmm. but, but, I mean, the standard stuff that you hear everywhere is true in limited uh, circumstances. So, you know, abnormal behavior outside of the environment's, um, you know, baseline. So whatever people are doing in the environment, uh, if someone's doing something slightly abnormal of that, then that that, that requires some attention. Uh, some pre-ambush, uh, pre-assaultive cues that you can look for when you're walking down the street if for example, if you're in like uh, some downtown areas and people walk around and when you cut off to a side street to maybe walk down to your car, the people begin to be more sparse. And so in those places, people are typically either standing in a group, like audibly talking to each other, or they're moving from one spot to the other, like walking to their car or coming to downtown. And if you see people who are not doing any of those things, but they're moving around purposefully or maybe not purposefully, um, then they would require attention, right? And so just starting to pick up on uh, what I call wideband situational awareness where we start to 
look for like a baseline for what the environment is calling for. And then first things you always look for are, are abnormalities, of course, right? But then you got to go, like we talked about earlier, about people who are good and people who are, are planning and plotting and they're not going to, they're, they're, they're in a true predator sense, not going to let you know that they're going to attack until they're close enough to be able to overwhelm your ability to, to counter the attack uh, in time. That's the person that you most need to be concerned about. The other abnormalities you can see very clearly. So um, if somebody's standing close to you and they're talking in your face, one of the classic things that comes before a punch is the, the witness sweep where they turn their head and look both ways. You know he's going to fucking punch you next. Like That's almost every single time they do that. So number one, we'll do that if you're going to punch somebody. Number two... If somebody does that, then you need to step out of out of range, you know, and make sure you step out of range. And then if they advance, then you know that it's probably escalating at that point. But that's like common stuff that I I feel like I, I know I should talk about that, but I feel like it's it's really elementary to talk about that. The more um, the more advanced stuff is what you should probably be concerned about. So if there are you know, it goes down to watching eyes. Uh, what are they looking at? If there's someone who's caught your attention, what are they looking at? And you can't, you can't let them know too quickly that you're onto them because they will stop feeding you information as soon as they know you're watching. And that's very important because you need, you need information from that person. And so that's why I don't like being the person who's like, the most noticeable guy in a room or if somebody walks in, um, you know, uh, I seen an instructor tell a story on, on social media where he was at a place and some, uh, guy walked in, it was like really sketchy looking and, uh, and he ends up coming over to this instructor and he says, Hey, are you a cop? And the instructor's like, Nope. He's like, Oh, well, you're either a cop or you were inside. Cause I seen you watching me and you put your back against the wall when I was over here and you like kept me in your sight. So I figured you either been locked up or you're a cop, you know? And he's like, I've not been either. And he was all proud. He's like, yeah, this guy saw me. And I'm like, you're missing the point, man. You want that guy didn't mean you any harm. So he just thought it was fun little game to go and talk to you about this. The guy that means you harm will stop feeding you information as soon as he sees you. And and you will not get another piece of information. Yeah, he from was that guy, he was detective. Period. Yeah, you will. He will shut you down, and he will not feed you any more information. And so that's that's the stuff you need to be critical about. So concealing how much you're observing is one of the important points about picking up on cues, because there are a lot of cues that you'll never pick up on because you're caught, you're detected, observing. And so if you want to see the ones that could be really dangerous when those happen they're going to be very subtle cues and they're going to be very calculated and you have to be ready to see them and so it's going to be shifting in weight whether their eyes are watching whether positioning anything in their pocket or you know uh tapping checking for a weapon those are very hard tells to stop you have to be pretty highly trained not do a weapons check or something pre-fight um it's very common it's like the uh I forget what country it is, one of the East Eastern European countries where the the security guard does the assassination on stage of the politician and, and it's one of the security guys on stage. 
and um, I think it might be Czechoslovakia or somewhere like that. But he um, he goes after uh, he he's one of the actual security agents on the stage protecting the guy that actually you know goes after the guy uh, and shoots him. And before he does it, if you watch him, he said he's very trained. He's very highly uh, uh, skilled guy, but he he taps his jacket and he makes sure his gun is in place because when he reaches for it it needs to be there and so you see a very if you go back and find that video i wish i I wish i would take the time to actually know what video that is but if you go back and find that the security guy assassinates the politician he taps his jacket there's a couple of tells there if you watch very closely you see them right um and that's how you know, okay, this guy's he's setting up for something, but is super subtle and super fine, super finely detailed. And there's is very calculated. And I mean, you're not going to see those things. So that's those are the kind of things I would like to see people develop more towards and quit talking about like the obvious stuff like, oh, if he's shifty eyed, you want to make contact and say, I see you, guy. Like, clinch fist. That, yeah, that kind of shit is, is, element that's like elementary school we want to talk about like the higher level threats the higher yeah, order the, threats, the right? ones where those are like or the um the histamines face turning red and and uh ball of the fist and all that stuff like you yeah. are you already know that this dude's pissed off in front of you you already know he's pissed off in front of you like we don't need to have like a whole long talk about those things it's the it's the um it's the presence uh of something that that doesn't belong or the absence of something that does that doesn't fit with the baseline uh, but then it's even more so, like like Ward was saying, when there is an element of of concealing that, where it's neither. I guess you could say. Yeah, it's yeah, it's concealment. It's concealment as a field craft, and that's mm-hmm. what I try to get across as the good recognizing guy concealment. Yeah, recognizing concealment is, um, you know, we're not we're talking about somebody that's actively trying to conceal something from you, and. Uh, and, and if they if they detect that you're picking up on them, they will change their behavior and, and they'll lock it down uh, and you will get no more information from that person. And why would you, you so so some the, the deterrence crowd will scream out right there and be like, see, we, we, we deterred it, but not necessarily. You just stopped getting information. Um, and the problem is, is that if you want to be a, the guy like for me, I would rather be if I'm in. Dunkin' Donuts, and I'm having a cup of coffee, and a guy comes in and wants to shoot the place up. You know, I want to be the guy that comes out of the woodwork out of nowhere on this guy, rather than the guy he knew that was there from the start. Uh, that gives me a much better. I'm practicing concealment, so now there's two of us practicing practicing concealment in this room, and one right. of us is going to win. Right? It's like it's like so, the whole thing. It depends on context. Yes, and it's the same type of stuff that I went through in uh, hostile environments where I perfected these things, both in observing and not being detected and in practicing concealment and participating myself. So when you when you think about someone who's good and they want to come in and do max amount of damage or, or they want to get something quickly, um, they're going to work their way towards it very closely and then make their move. And it, the better they are, the harder, the more nuanced those cues are going to be to pick up on. And that's why... Um, you know, the whole concept of wideband situational awareness to narrow focus, the things I talk about, about, you know, attention is divided and focus is precision and the knowing the difference of what you and knowing which one you're practicing and things like that. Um, 
that's the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you need to think about in terms of like, okay, what kind of pre-attack cues? There's there's the elementary stuff that's very simple to see, and then there's the stuff that is is a little more nuanced, and you have to be a little bit slicker yourself to be able to observe long enough to pick up on it. That's my take on it. It's good. Where do you have a reading list? Mark, like like a, a, a my question for you. Um, like, is there is there a list of books that that you're that you're really a fan of that that really fit into our world, your world? Um, I I recommend reading any book that's written by an ex-con. Uh, I I recommend any book that's written by someone who's been in prison, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a killer. You know, it could be uh, like we used to grow up. We there was there used to be one, the Blade and the Cross, like way back in the day. I think that was like from the seventies or something, right? Uh, and the guy who was like a, a a thug and a gang member, and he you know ended up changing his life to you know church going and all that kind of stuff. Like all of those kind of things are influential. And if you if you read the the mindset of these people. You know, study your enemy. I don't even need all. Oh, why does this need to be a conversation? Like, I, right. I don't even know. Like, like you study your enemy. You know, like go and and uh, read about the. You don't don't read about the people who you want that that you that you might have to fight from some third party expert. Read about it from the people that you that you might have to fight. Read what they have to say about what they think, what they do, what they've seen, where they've been, how they feel about it. Read their thoughts, you yeah. know, and put your own conclusions together. It's not that you have to take their words for it on anything, but you, you can put together a pretty reliable data set in your own head that can give you a pretty good set of profiling tools um, to understand who, where these people are coming from. That's, that's where I would start my reading list. If you really want to train to defend yourself from criminal violence, you should understand criminal violence from violent criminals. Um, yeah, everything else is just like, you know, a little bit of observational, like somebody's opinion, right. Or maybe yeah. even an embellished yeah. opinion. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't care how many people you've interviewed or how many people you've known. Like if you haven't done it, and been there and lived it, it's different, right? And 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 so you want to listen to those people who have done it and been there and lived it for prolonged periods of time and have participated in that world as a participant, had to live in that world and survive in that world because it shapes your thoughts. It shapes how, shapes how you see the world. It shapes how you make decisions in, in ways that people can't understand by sitting in front of them with a tablet and asking questions. So you need to be that person that just listens to them firsthand through books or videos or whatever it is you can get your hand on. And then you start there and then you branch out and listen to what other people have to say about those things. Um, and then, and then those other things, those other viewpoints could be useful at that point. But if you don't start with the source, then you're just taking somebody's word for it. And, and it's somebody's word that's not been there and participated in it. You know, one thing that I, I found probably the most intriguing out of our first like nine hour conversation was that, that you went down this not so great bad path from your childhood onto adulthood. 
and I went down this like wholesome join the military at 17 years old, do all these things, you know, get influenced by wholesome military people and blah, blah. But our, our, our conclusions and our thoughts on human violence and, and how to conduct violence, you know, when, when it's time to conduct violence and uh, just on, on so many different levels, it's like we took, in this conversation, again, we, where we reached the same conclusions which was very reaffirming for me, and, and Vargas said it was, was for him as well, but the, the, to where we reach the same conclusions, but totally different ends of the spectrum, totally different sides of this coin, but still humans are the same. They're, they're still humans, you know, and, and violence is violence. Interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's, uh, and, and I found that over and over again, and it's like, uh, you know, especially guys in the military, um, yeah, I've been on several podcast with matt larson who's like a evolutionary psychologist and he's uh the director of combatives at west point military academy and obviously has this long military career ranger stuff like he that he sounds like a pretty smart dude he is he's a he's a, a real smart guy and we like like come to the same conclusions about stuff we talk it's like it's like we're talking about the same things that we're so vastly different background you know um and it's just like the 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 cream of information rises to the top and, yeah. and because if it's real and it, it's from experience, then what my experience is and my ability to articulate it, uh, in your experience and your ability to articulate it, we come to maybe use different terms, but we're talking yep. about the same thing. Oh, we yes. recognize it. Right. Yep. And so then we're like, oh, okay, like, yeah, you, you know, but it's simple in some ways it's simple stuff, but it's simple to us because we, we did the not so simple things to get to that right. level of understanding, um, and it sounds simple, but it's not simple getting there. And th there's a lot of people call me an expert in these things, and I I don't like that term at all. I, I'm on a quest for expertise in that software's integration with the hardware, um, and I I say it all the time where I've been wrong about so many things in my life. There's no way everything that I'm doing, teaching, believing, talking about everything. There's no way that I'm 100% right right now because I've got it wrong so many times in the past and I've always run into something like, wow, that's better. And I test it, you know, and, and, I, and I, I look at it. I'm like, that is better than this. I'm going to switch to this under this set of circumstances. And yes. this is why. So um, it, having that open mind, not so open that we're, that we're believing anything that, that's put in front of us because there's tons of snake oil out here, especially when you get in the combatives world. It's worse than the gun world, like the, yes. the, the martial arts stuff. Um, and the gun world's pretty bad. Um, you know, what hurts the gun world a lot is just really a lot of institutional inertia. You know, like, well, this is the way my instructor taught me how to do this, you know, 20 years ago. And like, first of all, 20 years ago, there's probably we're still there's some stuff that's consistent, but it's not all yeah. right. Uh, and whenever you start out saying my instructor, that tells me that you have one influence on you, and uh, uh, you've got the wrong mindset to begin with. If you've only got one instructor that you have, right? Like when you say my instructor, yes, so not not yes. not gonna we're not gonna get along. We're not gonna see eye to eye on on pretty much anything. Um, but open mind, realize that we can be wrong. Um, that's uh that's good stuff, Arg. Thank you for taking. Uh, man, almost two hours out of your exciting life. Yeah, no problem. To come hang out with me. No problem, man.
uh, for my first episode back of Gunfighter Cast in like I think two years. Uh, if I am not mistaken, I need to do a little bit of research, but I'm almost 100% positive. I'm 99.9% sure since Gunfighter Cast is back and this podcast is going out right now, uh, Gunfighter Cast is the oldest firearms related podcast on the internet. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that's something to say right there. It is. Still around, still doing it. Uh, Captain Save a Ho. <laughs> it's hard to say that with a straight face, but uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I don't know if you're in the chat, Varg, but uh, Edward said thank you so much for the information. This has been a very thought provoking uh, for him. Um, thank you, Edward, and thanks, guys, who, who gave me some follows in this. Guys, if you don't follow already, hit that heart up top. That's the, the follow button. It, it doesn't cost any money. You just follow it. It lets you know when, it, when I go live if you'll hit the little thing next to it, the little bell thing, uh, and it'll get you 870 Tactical. Thanks for the follow, buddy. Appreciate it. Um, and thanks for the kind words earlier. That was awesome. Um, Twitch is new to me. I'm new to Twitch. I've been streaming video games all week this week. I'll be affiliate tomorrow morning when I do my first stream. I might I might start turn off my stream and turn it back on at midnight uh, so that I can get my affiliate status. Then a whole new world has opened up to me. Uh, but Varg will be back here with me on Twitch at some point, uh, probably soon, because Varg and I talk very often. Uh, me and Varg are also talking about him being a co-host on the show on a, a semi-regular basis. Um, where we have other people come in and Varg's perspective and my perspective with a guest, we could just beat them up from two different ends of that spectrum we talked about uh, and really have, and have some great conversations. Um, but I'll be doing all of those live right here on Twitch, and then they'll come out in podcast form on iTunes and all the other podcatchers and, and all that. Uh, Prime sub, that'll be awesome. You'll be my first sub, whoever gets it first. If somebody else said that yesterday, they were going to sub. Uh, I I, I hope so. I hope there's a big fight within like a hundred people to be my first sub. Considering there's seven in chat right now, probably not. But uh, but thank you, Captain Sabaho. Um, I salute you, Captain. Varg, where can everybody find you? Look more into you. I dropped the link to your book, but you can tell them more about that. Uh, your website, social media, anywhere that they need to take a look at you. Um, your discussion groups on Facebook, whatever else. There's tons of good information. So all yours, buddy. I. I'm pretty much found – I'm branded under my name now, so my my main website is vargfreeborn.com. I still don't have my 2020 class schedule up, and I know people are really beating me up about it now, and i got to get it done, and I'll get it done I just done got soon. half of mine up two days ago, so don't feel too bad. Yeah, so I don't feel too bad. <laughs> there's a couple – People were beating me up like crazy. Yeah, 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 and, and I'm working on it, but it's vargfreeborn.com, and uh, – my social media, my business page, and my personal page, Varg Freeborn on Facebook, uh, Varg Freeborn on Instagram, and pretty much Google Varg Freeborn, and I'm all over there. So uh, YouTube, you know, all the places, it's just look for my name, and that's where I'm at. Uh, the book's available on Amazon, Violence of Mind. Uh, I suggest you read it, not just because it's cool and it supports me. Um, it's, you know, part of my income. But also, it's a super helpful book. I do believe it has good information in it. So... Uh, check that out and I will be I, I scaled back like Daniel was talking about I scaled back on classes I'm not traveling as much not doing as many classes I got uh, trying to find some balance in my life right now and uh, that that required doing a little less traveling and a little less uh, classes but I do have some Ohio classes 
I do have some Alliance classes on the schedule this year, and I do I will be at OTOA. Uh, so all that stuff is is happening, and I'm going to be doing some classes down here in Florida too. There's quite a few OTOA officers that jump into stream here. At least they have all night this week, so they'll, they'll cool. probably hear that. Um, Varg didn't mention this because he is not a shameless self promoter, uh, but but Varg is. Um, He's a coach. He does remote coaching for people for fitness. Uh, we haven't cranked up the program yet, but but Varg and I are. Uh, uh, he is going to be my remote coach um, and do it because I am not because he's just a friend of mine and gives me a good discount, but I am completely convinced that with my mindset and my mentality on fitness uh, and the reason I need to be fit uh, and the standards that I need to be held to and that somebody else would hold hold me to. Um, and his knowledge of, of nutrition, of, of functional fitness, fit, fitness for life, for survival. Um, yeah. Varg, is the, the, you could pay 50 bucks a month and go to the YMCA and have somebody. I went to the YMCA, Varg, not too long ago, and I went to the, the free personal trainer that you get. And, then, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the dude's like, are there any exercises that you don't like to do? And uh, I was yeah. like, I don't like to do any exercises. Yeah. <laughs> and like, We're done. <laughs> that's what I was. I was like, I really, I don't enjoy any exercises. I, I like to, I like the feeling I get after a run. I like to, I like to, to cry in my head and beat myself up uh, yeah. on on a long like running like fourteen miles and then wanting to quit the whole time, but then not quitting and finishing that. I love that. I love that pain tolerance building, that callousing my body. I love the effects and then the mental toughness and all this. But doing the exercise. There is no exercise that I that I like to do. So he's like, I'm like, why do you ask me that? And he's like, because I will just avoid that exercise. I'm like, what kind of personal trainer are you? I said it to him. Yeah, I, was like, really. I was like, if I were the personal trainer, I'm like, that's the exercise that we're gonna you're gonna get so good at that. You're gonna make <laughs> you're that, gonna that, that you're gonna make that exercise your bitch, right? Like that, that's exactly what we're gonna do. Every single you're gonna, you're gonna, to your you're gonna throw that jab, right? <laughs> so so uh, the Varg is not gonna do that. Um, Varg is. Uh, the uh, uh, the the opposite. So uh, tell them where you can they can look up your your uh, your your coach stuff. Your, your uh, my coaching coach. my coaching program is on vargfreeborn.com. So there's a fitness training uh, page on that site, and there's three different tiers that I offer right now. Uh, there's a full on coaching where I'm in contact with you face to face every two weeks, and we and we talk, you know. And then there's uh. Um, uh, once a month we touch base and I do all your programming for you. And basically, you know, I've spent 25 years off and on, uh, more on than off in the fitness business and programming is a very, it's something I nerd out about pretty deeply. And I really, I spend a lot of probably the most amount of time of any topic is spent on programming. And it's just because it's so nuanced and so, you know, it, it's so individual and I really pride myself on my ability to help people. And if you want to get stronger, you want to get bigger, you want to get faster, you want to get, you know, leaner, any of those things is all it's, it's programming that makes it happen. So, and, and then, you know, the discovery process for you coming, finding out what we need to correct and what we need to, you know, um, we find all those things through assessment and discovery and then we target those things and then it's a continual learning process and i like to leave the client having learned how to train their how to recognize their own uh capabilities and weaknesses and bring balance into their own life through fitness so i'm educating them at the same time to be their own trainer a little bit um and that's that's you know the whole thing is just because i enjoy helping people and i spend 
every day of the week coaching. So I coach, that's what I do. I coach, if I'm not coaching on the range, I'm coaching in the gym or I'm coaching uh, online, you know, this, this is what I do. Uh, so you can find all that again on vargfreeborn.com. It's all on there. Varg, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Guys out there listening in podcast world and audio only, uh, you'll get the enhanced version of this if you go watch it on Twitch. If you're on Twitch, uh, do it. If, you, if, you have, if you're an Amazon Prime member uh, out there and you enjoy Gunfighter Cast, the podcast, go make a Twitch account. You automatically get uh, Twitch Prime because you're an Amazon Prime member, and you can use that Prime to be to subscribe. The subscribe helps the show. It'll just it'll use your your free subscribe that you get every month to help support the show with uh, like five bucks a month, and it'll be but it'll help out a lot. The more of those that come in there, Mark, thank you once again, and. Uh, I'll see you next time that we uh, we have something to talk about. You guys will probably see Varg on a semi-regular basis on Gunfighter Cast whenever I can nail him down and he's not busy. Cool. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it.